another thing, man, a lot of people tell me, um, you know, I never want somebody to question my discipline. You know, if if your biggest Yo. investment is you and you're struggling with that, then how am I going to trust you with a million dollars? You know what I'm saying? So that's where another one that that's really my focal point that my thing is credibility. My whole career has been am I credible enough to be able to like have people invest in me, to have people believe in me and to have people like, you know, really like believe the dream. But the only way I do that is that I got to make you a believer. That's so true. that's all. That's what comes down to like the discipline side of things. So that's just another aspect of why it's so important to me that like health is wealth at the end of the day. Preach, bro. So, Preach. Um, yeah. Well, I already started recording. I think that was like a good minute. That was some good shit. <laughs> bro, I'm going to put that in there. Uh, what's going on, guys? This is TJ. Thank you for tuning in to my very first episode of the Mentor Monday podcast hashtag mentor mondays with me i have joaquin i remember the last thing listen i've been practicing my spanish yeah Herrera. Herrera. oh yeah man, let's go <laughs> there you go let's go uh i met joaquin man i heard of him he was kind of like a legend for a couple years um i had a friend who really looked up to him i used to hear about him all the time oh joaquin this joaquin that and i was like i gotta meet this guy yeah like, full of shit yeah for real. <laughs> and then maybe like a year ago right uh-huh, he, like, ago? Yeah, up, yeah, yeah. he started talking and i was like this is the real deal. Yeah. This guy's the real deal. Thank so. you. Thank you, brother. I guess we'll just, we'll hit it off, man. Like, you know, what's your story? Like, how did you, how did you get here? I remember you used to have the shop over right next to the gas station over there. And it was a pretty good size shop. 20, yeah, yeah, you yeah. You said 2,100 square feet. Yeah. Now you're at 42. Yeah. I mean, it's a beautiful shop. It's running like a machine here. Literally, yeah. I walk in here, I'm talking to receptionists, I'm getting offered drinks, I'm getting, I'm like... Is this a barbershop? Yeah. Like, what's going on? Well, we went for the revamp, you know, for the revamp. Um, you know, I, I've said it for years that I think the barber industry uh, has been working on outdated software for decades now. Um, and it's, you know, now that I have to deal with, like, the SBA and I deal with banks and I deal with investors, you know, the moment that they hear barber or barbershop, it's an automatic, like, they're mm. shutting me out because the the, the, the culture hasn't. Uh, effectively executed a, a business plan where the business world looks at it as a profitable medium. The bad thing about it, when every time I have to kind of sell the barbershop or sell my company, um, I always have to kind of come with my financials and I always have to come with my credibility because the name alone is enough to kind of deter. Kind of got the stereotype. Yeah, beforehand. there's a stereotype. Yeah. So, and that's the one thing that I got to break. You know, that's why I'm so anal about logging everything. So, all my data, you know, whether how many units we move, you know, how productive are we throughout the day, how productive are we throughout the month, you know, what our revenue is, you know, um, how much are the barbers and, and the stylists actually. Uh, uh, busy throughout the day so this is all data that i have to compile so your analytics guy i have to i have to because the industry calls for it you know it's not even my company i think if i was you know in um the restaurant business or or you know something that's not as uh, stereotyped as non-business then maybe it wouldn't be such an uphill battle for me but the reason that i have to do it is because now it's so much more than my company you know now it's more about the industry and how do i elevate the industry to where we could provide careers yeah because the one thing that i've noticed i've been a barber for 20 years now and the one thing i've noticed when i went to actually go try to buy my house i couldn't because i had no reported income when i when i finally came across that i felt like man all these years i've been doing this i've been doing it completely wrong now 
would I just allow the rest of the uh, culture to operate like that? Or because I'm trying to build a platform, do I actually, you know, change that? And that's yeah. where I did. I W2'd everybody. And I got a lot of backlash for two years. Xavier can tell you, you know, that people what were like, doing? yeah, like this is not the way barbershops run. Like, hey, look, man, in a few years, you're going to thank me because you're going to have taxable income. You're going to be able to buy that house as long as your credit's good. You're going to be able to look good on paper. And now you have a track record on paper that you make money. Yeah. And now lending happens. Now, if you want to buy an investment property, that's what they look for. It's so taxable income. You're looking, you're income. looking out for your employees and your team members on the back end. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, yeah, hey, yeah. you might not be happy with this right now as we grow, but man, when you're ready to make some serious investments for your family, for your life, yeah. you'll be able to do it. Exactly. And that's that's the biggest hurdle because, again, the, the, the industry doesn't operate that way. So I have to literally think outside the box and come up with a strategy. And the hardest part is making people believe in that strategy because it's so brand new. They've yeah. never heard about, you know, what is salary or what's W-2? You know, like they don't know what it is about taxable income. So these are all things that I have to educate my staff, which is why the next investment is our school. I have to catch barbers at the beginning so that way they know what to expect so out understand. of a company. Exactly. Yeah. I have a saying here with the barbers is that I need everyone to think like owners. That's the only way you're going to truly understand what we're trying to do. And then that's where I, I offer the franchise program. So that way, when you start to think like an owner, eventually you will be an owner. But I have to kind of, you know, we got to go through the bumps in the roads. So what's the, the initial hurdle, though? Because I know I'm a barber. And I guess for some of you who don't know, um, they're independent contractors usually, right? Usually. In, in yeah. most shops. I'm a barber. I'm used to like, no, I'll take care of my taxes if I pay taxes yeah. at the end of the year. How do you overcome that initial hurdle of like, no, this is not what I'm used to. You know, like, do you get a lot of backlash? Did, how, did you catch a lot of backlash from your employees in the beginning? And you know, I, from there? I did. And honestly, I think the only my 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 train of thought is a leveraged train of thought. When you have leverage, that's when you get to actually kind of mold things the way you want it to. Without the leverage, then you're at the mercy of whoever it is that you're doing business with. Yeah. So let's just say the barbers. Luckily, I've built the brand so that the brand is what brings people in. Now, other shops or most shops or some shops, I don't know what the, what the ratio would be, but a lot of these shops, the barbers themselves are the brand. Yeah. And then that barber brings in the clientele. So then the owner has no leverage. He's at their mercy. He's at their mercy because if they were to pick up and just bounce because they don't like the way you're doing things, then you lose you lose that, that portion of whether it's booth rent or percentages. Like, you lose that. And then once the main guy goes, then it's just kind of a trickle effect while people start to kind of leave because the leader in the shop was never the owner or the brand. It was always this one particular barber that outshined your brand. That was my purpose that I was not going to have. My purpose was to make sure that I pumped a brand, something that is credible, something that people can Google and they could read the reviews and like, okay, these guys operate well. And then that's what brings people in. Yeah. So when I do have these interviews, because sometimes people will come at me like, oh, well, what's the percentage? I was like, no, there's no percentages. You know, I was like, I'm going to keep you busy 65% of the time. And I have the analytics to show you that. Now, whether you're in that chair or I put somebody else in that chair, it's business as usual because mm. I, the company, will keep you busy. Like whether you have zero clientele or you have a massive clientele, it does me no difference. 
and that's where I had my leverage as far as like I'm you were going, able to do what you wanted to. I do. was going to do it what my was way best for the company. Absolutely, and because not for the individual. No, because I wasn't dependent on you to bring in clientele. We have clientele, so now because that leverage is in my hands, now I dictate how I kind of want to go about and what's right for the company. Because yeah. what a lot of people don't for, like, they tend to forget, especially barbers, is that you know we got a staff of people that don't contribute to the pot, which is cutting hair or doing anything. You know, we have two front desk girls, we got an operations manager, and we have uh, an educator that, you know, those don't bring, they don't put into the pot. We have to pay for that. Now, the only way we pay for that is that we have to have a labor budget. And that labor budget is how I kind of go about, you know, the whole structure of how things are paid. So, and I think that's kind of what makes you unique. I think barbers understand I mean we've all been in you know established quote-unquote conventional businesses yeah and they have the receptionist they have the you know the the finance staff and so on and so forth but that's not something that barbers usually invest in no they that's don't. what you kind of saw you like okay that is important and that's overhead right because they don't con- contribute to the pot initially, absolutely but that's something worth everybody you know spreading the cost across you know all your barbers and covering because I mean, it makes things run more efficient. Well, it is. You know, like I told Like they don't have to answer phones. They don't. You know, all they got to do is check their books in the morning. And after that, that's their job too. Like as people call and as people book online, then the front desk is just making sure that everyone's fed. So for that, that's what we call, you know, there's a luxury tax to that. But because of that, that lets people know that we run a business. Yeah. We don't run a shop, which is why that's the way it's got to be done and for the most part thank god as long as there's growth and you know people are still making more money every you know six months to a year then we're golden yeah you know that's the key now you do a little bit of you do the shop you have a salon Mm -hmm. you have hair care products a whole line of hair products and a bakery Mm -hmm. so i mean how do you have the time like how do you how do you balance your day uh well because i was very I was very honored, right? Because I know how busy you are. Uh-huh. That you gave me, you know, 30 minutes. <laughs> you know. Well, my my thing is investing in a team. You know, I I I remember they told me once that there's two types of entrepreneurs in the world. That's one. There's one that's the workhorse that has to do everything themselves. They don't trust nobody else, and they're just gonna get it done. Only bad thing is that you can only take on so much. Yeah. Or there's the other one that actually learns to outsource, that learns how to delegate responsibilities to free up time. Because at the end of the day, if the day-to-day operations are worth, you know, let's just say 30000 a year, but if I were to do it, I'd be almost like the value isn't there for me doing it. Yeah. I could outsource that to somebody, give them thirty grand a year plus bonuses, and then I can focus on the bigger goal, which is more like making, you know, 100000 within the year. Yeah. So that's where my time has to be wisely invested because... Only certain things can I do in the sense of the company or my investments personally. That you can't delegate. I can't delegate certain things, you know. Like we just put in an offer for the strip center where the bakery's going. Mm-hmm. So we're looking to buy that now. Now, I can't have Anna or somebody else go speak for me because it's my credit, it's my company, it's my assets. It's, you know, all it's me that has to put that on the line. So I have to go there and handle that. Bakery also, whether the product line, nobody knows where the company's going but me. But I can definitely delegate certain day-to-day operations. Like while you're gone doing that, maybe she can handle the shop. Well, that's that's what we're doing now. You know, now she just handles you know the payroll, the tips. She handles all day-to-day. I really just come in and I I have a whole set of separate things that I do business-wise, and 
that's the that's the key to it is that you have to know that at some point you're going to have to learn to invest in a team but it's going to be one of the biggest investments besides the shop my team was my biggest investment in the last two years but i i stuck to it and now everyone kind of believes in what we're doing because they see the growth you know as long as the growth is there and the credibility starts to build itself then they feel like they're part of something you know that's about to become big what's the saying um alone you'll go fast but if you want to go far go together absolutely group yeah Yeah. and that that's the god's honest truth you know like a company if you're trying to build something grand is way more than one person you know i couldn't i wouldn't feel right sitting here and taking praise for everything that goodfellas has become without you didn't do it alone i didn't do it alone you know this the, the company is so much bigger than me now you know i don't do education raul does education you know i don't handle the staff anna handles the staff you know, I don't do the bookkeeping and, you know, my payroll. You know, I got a, I got a firm that does that. So I've learned to kind of like make sure that all my key components are there, but I'm not having to do it. So now I have the time to do meetings to kind of make sure that we're making the right moves in the right direction to grow the company. But then and, and that's important. And the thing with small businesses is that they don't feel like that short term loss is worth the long term you know, gain in Absolutely. terms of like hiring a CPA, yeah. you know, s- delegating to one of your team members, maybe one of the more administrative tasks so yeah. you can do something else. You know what I'm saying? No. Yeah. I think, unfortunately, small businesses tend to think small mm. and that's the bad part about it. You know, especially in this global world where like if you sell a product, maybe across, you know, the world, somebody else is selling the product cheaper yeah. and you haven't strategized, you know, enough to get your brand up, get your marketing up and get your costs down. But you think, oh, I'm a small business. You're thinking small. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't, you know, you have to. I've been thinking or I've been operating like I was Paul Mitchell for eight years now. You used to talk about it all the time. You still do, man. I still do, man, because it's that's my goal is to become that big of a brand, you know, a national uh, recognized brand, God willing, globally recognized brand. And the barber industry has left, you know, that lane wide open. There isn't one. And that's why I took the time to like, I'm not going to worry about myself or my followers. I'm going to worry about the company and the yeah. brand that it's going to make. I watched the movie last night where the lady had Chanel, um, $800 Chanel gloves and she was trading them off to a lady. She says they keep your hands just as well as $10 gloves. The only difference is branding. Chanel was able to brand something where you're going to pay top dollar for. There's probably a little bit more quality, but as far as efficiency and what its purpose does, yeah. It's all the same. It's a glove. You know, it's a glove with whatever warm kind of technologies inside. But branding is what makes the difference between Chanel and Family Dollar. You know, and that's the God's honest truth. That is the truth. That is the truth. Now, I know, and we'll get back to this, you know, the Joaquin today. But tell me a little bit about the Joaquin, you know, growing up. You know, what kind of student were you? What kind of kid were you? And then, you know... What did you have to go through to get here? You know um, I'll tell you, well, my parents were immigrants. Uh, both my parents came from Nicaragua. So uh, English was my second language. You know, Spanish was my first one. So that was qu- kind of a little uphill battle just going through grade school. Uh, even though, you know, I'm, I'm very fair complected. So people thought I, I looked American. Yeah. And when they would talk to me, I'd have that like, ah, what is this guy saying to me? Mm. Um, so that was kind of my first 
kind of shot of insecurity into like the whole school system. Yeah, because if you can't because talk I, to people, I couldn't speak, I couldn't make friends. You know, like I mean, I'm in ESL. Um, so that was kind of my first hurdle, and I think it just it really left a bad taste in my mouth because ever since then I've struggled with school. You know, I this was prior to like AD, uh, ADHD or ADD. Mm. You know, people weren't diagnosing it. So my teachers would either pair me with a student to kind of help me keep me focused. Another or kid. Another kid, yeah. Or they would just constantly check in on me. Because, like, I'm a dreamer. So I just dream a lot. And, you know, if you're in class, you're like. Yeah, and I'm just thinking of something <laughs> like, I don't know what it would be at that age, you know, yeah. but I was just dreaming, you know, and that my head has always been in the clouds. And even when I got through middle school and through high school, I just, no one could ever tap into me. Because I think no one had any um, any content that was that important to me that, like, mm. I want to learn this. And that's where, like, I just, you know, like, little by little, I just stopped going and stopped going. Until finally I got kicked out of one school. Then I got kicked out of another. Then I got kicked out of the whole district. And that forced me to get my GED. And the only reason I got my GED was because I needed that to go into barber school. And once I got into barber college, that's what where... What made you want to go to barber school, though? Like, were you well, cutting hair? Yeah, so <laughs> when I was 12 years old, me and my brother were 11 months apart. And we did everything together because we were what considered uh, Irish twins. And Irish my, twins. Yeah, that's, it's a weird thing where, where you're born in the same year, but you're not, like, oh, fraternal. Okay, okay, so, yeah, yeah. um me and my brother did everything together. So, you know, we grew up in Miami. So graffiti, we both did it, but he was always better. Uh, break dancing, we did it, but he was always better. Uh, rapping and hip hop, we did it, and he was always better. And when we picked up uh, cutting hair, it was the one thing that I gravitated to. Like it just kind of came real natural, just like everything else came natural to my brother. And he kind of struggled with it. And I remember telling myself, like, this is the one thing I'm going to be better at you at. And I hate to be that competitive, but me and my brother are very competitive by nature. But I told myself, I was like, and I stuck with it. But I always knew the concept of value, so I'm not gonna do anything for free, even when I was learning. So when I was in seventh grade, I was cutting hair for two dollars, and you know if hey, I cut, were you messing those boys up back? Yeah, then? yeah, <laughs> man. By no means was I good, you know, but I was like, hey, look, if I'm gonna stop what I'm doing, cut, it's man. a two dollar cut. <laughs> and sure enough, but that gave me that little bit of like, mm. now I had my own money, and you know, we we come from. Uh, we were in a, a really uh, kind of um, I don't want to say poor neighborhood, but you know it was, it was it wasn't the greatest. It was lower lower middle class. Yeah. But I always had my ten twelve dollars at any given moment. And I remember my brother and my sister would if want. If you wanted some, you got. If it. I had it, I mean I had I had some dollars, you know, and that came from haircutting. And I would buy my brother a cookie. I'd buy my sister a chocolate milk, you know. So I would just take care of my peoples. Yeah. And as I started to learn, like, oh damn, like this is what making money feels like. Then that's when I caught the bug, and I just it, it just never stopped. My only thing was like, how do I how, how do I charge more? How do I how do I get back more? And then that's where I kind of learned as I'm going through it, value, you know. And Embedded as I started to see like who my competitors were, I just had to I had to outwork my competitors. So if they weren't reliable and always showed up late, I'd show up early. If they were, you know, just kind of BSing the cut and, you know, like taking way too long, I became efficient and learned it in 30 minutes. And if people weren't on time for their appointments, I was I made sure that I was always on time for my appointments. Like I've always tried to outdo my competitors because I know that for whatever the reason, man, there's a very lazadaisical kind of mind frame when it comes to it. Especially just the people that I deal with. To barbering. To barbering, yeah. So 
because of that. I would hey, you know what? You know, I'm black. We go to barbershops. Yeah. That is the number one pain. It's like, man, I had an appointment at 11. Dog, it's 12 o'clock. I still ain't been cut yet. What's <laughs> yeah. going on? Well, that's the thing because people don't value other people's time. And that was the one thing that I learned very early in life was that, like, because I value your time, I'm going to make sure that you're out of here in, mm. you know, 40 minutes. Because I know if I could value your time, you're going to appreciate that. And in an industry where not a lot of people value your time, that's where I'm going to stand out. And sure enough, like the formula worked internally as far as just like, because I always ran my chair like a business. And even though like at the barbershops that I worked at, everybody would show in at 11. I was there at 8 a.m., 9 a.m. And everybody would be the first one cutting. I'd have my line of people. And then when everybody's leaving early, I'm still there and I'm chopping. Because I outworked all of my competitors. And, and I this think this was even at a young age. This was, yeah, this yeah. was like from when I was even cutting in a barbershop where I wasn't even licensed, you know. I was just, they just saw like, hey, the kid can cut good hair. Let's bring him in. Because you've been cutting, what, seven, so 13, 14. You've been yeah, I've been, well, since 12, 13 is yeah. when I started to really like charge. And after that, so 13, 23, 33. So uh, I'll be 36 this year. So 23 years now. Wow. So. Whenever, so transitioning from, you know, high, you dropped out of high school, got your GED, got into barber school. How was that going to barber school and your journey, you know, immediately after that? So going to barber college was cool. Um, the only thing is that, again, there was no content to keep me, like, engaged. You already knew how to cut. I already knew how to cut, you know, and the, the they weren't teaching anything else but cutting. And I was like, you know, I... Definitely, I've always learned little tricks and traits, you know, small things, you know, but that's not what you're teaching. It's just what you're doing that I'm like, oh, that's a good idea. I'm going to tweak it and make it my own. But as far as content, like me, like completely engaged in your curriculum, ever, never. I was there to get my hours and I bounced. Yeah, because you had to get licensed. Because I had to get my license. I was only there out of a necessity, not out of like, you know, being practical in the sense of, I want to learn what you have to offer. No, that wasn't there. So as I left there, and you feel like that was unique to that college, or you think? I think it's I think it's like that across the board, man. You know, I, I you know I hire a lot of barbers and I talk to a lot of barbers, and not one of them tell me. Or the one thing that's somewhat of a compliment, but the only reason I say somewhat is because I hate that the schools are operating like this. Is that? They always tell me, like, I've never heard of someone talk about barbering like you do. And I'm like, this is very basic stuff, I'd like to think, just in the sense of a like business. business stuff, yeah, right? business stuff. You know, like, this is very, like, basic 101 stuff. And that's where I knew, like, I have a long journey in front of me, you know. Mm-hmm. But as I left there and I got into a barbershop, it just became very repetitive, very fast. You know, I've been doing it for so long. Like, And again, I'm back to tapers and ball fades and designs. And I'm like... Man, that can't be. I'm 22 years old and I'm already getting tired of my job. So I retracted and I enrolled myself in uh, cosmetology school. Okay. And right there I knew like, oh, damn, I have no idea what's going on here. But again. Do you feel that may have been the first time you were challenged? Very. Very because I've never dealt with that kind of hair with, you know, women as, as my demographics. You know, males were always who I was targeting. And I felt that love that I did when I was 13 years old at, you know, 21, I think, or 22 I was. 
And little by little, I was just like, okay, so I love it. But now I learned that my teachers suck. Like, it, yeah. it really just falls back to that saying, those who can't do teach. Mm. And I hated that because I'm like, again, like, yo, what these, these are very basic cuts. Like, I want to understand, like, why the elevation is at this degree, you know, and they couldn't answer these questions. So I was like, you know what? Get your license. Get my license and I'm going to do it. But while I was still going through school, um, I enrolled. Well, I, I asked to get hired on at Visible Changes. Mm. Now, Visible Changes changed my life as far as perspective, hair, education. Like that company really did wonders for me. And I'll still I'll, I'll give them the praise that I do till today because I don't think I am who I am. It's like a mindset from a barber to seeing like to seeing like a business run efficiently on the books like it was crazy because what I hired on for was stock boy now and I left the barbershop because I was like I can cut hair in my house so my schedule was I'd go to school from eight to two from two to uh, from two to nine I'd go to visible changes in work and then from I was breakdancing at the time so nine to eleven I'd breakdance and then from eleven to two I'd cut hair and then I'd go to sleep and wake up at eight and do it all over again. But I knew that the school I had to, I just had to get my license. But Visible Changes was the first time where I knew like, damn, these are their own products. And I saw they had five receptionists handling a staff of 30. I was like, oh, and I automatically clicked. And after that day, I would just went into student mode and I stayed there five years. You know, I stayed there two years as a as a stock boy, I would uh, unplug the drainage. I would get people's lunches on Saturday. And when I got my license, then I started their school, which was what I think at the time, uh, Visible Changes University. And then that was the first time that content really captured my attention because they were te- they were talking in very detailed theory about hair and then actually executing it on the floor. Wow, so it was necessity in Barber College maybe a little challenged in and Cosmo Cosmetali, but then content captured your attention at visible change visible changes because I saw one that their stylists were very well educated and then two their business was a thriving model and I was like I gotta learn this yeah, they're everywhere <laughs> yeah yeah you know they and they're mom and pop you know they're they're a husband and a wife and you know, it's millions what that company's worth now. And they have, I think, like 30 locations. So it's all in Texas, but not for nothing. You don't, you can't take away from that kind of credibility, you yeah. know. So the only thing I want to do is take that, but nationally. Yeah. But my whole goal is that I want to corner the market. So I want to train them, educate them, mold them, employ them, franchise them. So I want to take them from the beginning students all the way to... to business owner. To a business owner and I want to walk you through the whole process because then is where you get to actually have value in the industry so this is where I have to ask you do you feel like everybody has that though the ownership like, no everybody no they don't unfortunately and I've, I've 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 wasted time investing in people that did weren't worth the investment and the thing is is that I have a savior's complex like I want to help and save everybody that I can because I didn't have that growing up. Like I literally had to muster up because you know, my, my family, they're all immigrants. So my whole family, all they knew was survival, survival. working two jobs, you know, day and night, bills, killing it. Yeah. Care, yeah. And, but you know, my, me, my sister and my brother, you know, we were alone from after school till 9 30, 10, 10 o'clock at night. Like we didn't have no babysitter. My mom couldn't afford it. 
So we just kind of like ran the streets and we just did what we wanted and we have our our little stories. Yeah, you know, so but that's the one thing that I, I feel is um was major to it was the fact that I had to learn how to be independent at such a young age. But but the only like just some people just don't got that fire. And there's nothing I always say there's nothing wrong with that. Right? No, 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 nothing yeah, wrong yeah. With that. You know, just wanna you wanna clock in, clock out, right? But you gotta understand the difference though in entrepreneurship and yeah. business ownership. And for you to want to save everybody, I I, I figure that's a challenge for you. It is, man, because one I wanna see everybody do good. You yeah. know, like there's a saying that, you know, being being the only rich man in the world is no fun. You know, and, and that's where I wanna make everybody sh- shine. Like, I want everybody to shine, you know, because I, I I think I don't know if it's my greatest attribute or one of my weaknesses that, you know, I care that they have a family, that they can buy a house, that they could put their kids through college, that they could have a retirement fund, that they could learn to invest their money. Like, these are all things that I truly do care about. You know, we got a thing here about, it's called the 700 Club. And, like, we're trying to get everybody's credit to be at the 700 Club. Wow. And I'm constantly like, hey, where, where's your credit at today? And I'll sit with people on their credit karma and be like, all right, yo, look, this is this is the plan we're going to do. And start to help people kind of, like, build into what I like to call adulthood. There's certain things that to be a, a provider as a man, you have to have. You have to have a good job. You got to learn how to finance your money or, you know, handle your bills. You got to be able to have credit because that's the only way you're going to get into a house or a car. And these are just things that just come with adulthood. And now since my staff is so young, I feel like, oh, well, man, I could actually help you all out early. Because they're listening. Because they're listening. And the thing is, is that I'm credible. Mm. They see my life and they see what I'm doing. And I tell them, like, yo, you could have this, too. But, you know, you're going to have to put in a little work. Yeah. You know, the bad part about this culture is that everything's very microwavable. Oh, shit. you know, they want it now. They want it now. Yeah, and and people forget. It's a saying that I heard that says people underestimate what they can do in 10 years and overestimate what they can do in one year. You know, and that's to me just dealing with young people. It's it's the God's honest truth, because I know what I know what I was able to do in 10 years. There was no way I would have been able to do that in one year. And that's just realistically thinking. Time. 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 Time is your biggest is your biggest resource if you use it right. But if you're constantly complaining about where you're not at you're or what you don't have, yeah, it's yeah. just it's all time that could have been spent on something more useful. And all you have to do is get it in your head that like it's not gonna be overnight. And before you know it, you won't even know when it hits. It's just one day you're going to wake up and you're going to look at your wife, you're going to look at your house, you're going to look at your life, you're going to look at your bank account, and you're going to be like, God damn, I did it. It won't, it's just, it's something that you will not hit. You got to love grinding though. You got to be in love with the grind. And you got to be in love with failing. Mm. You got to know that failing is probably the one thing you don't want to do, but the one thing you have to do. Because in failure is where you learn. Yeah, you don't learn nothing from. No, I've I've never learned how, like I don't think I can say I've learned anything from success. Because my success is only a product of my failure, of how I learned what not to do, and then re-strategized it. The only thing I've learned from success is that like okay, that's the way you do it. Yeah. That's the yeah. way you do it. But the only but reason you never got there had I failed. failed yeah. Yeah. So you know. how long have you owned, you know, the shop? You went from visible changes 
I guess what's what's there? Was is there a gap there? Like, no, no, no. So yeah, so I, I was at Visible Changes, um, and I worked there, and I finally made it to the floor, and I finally learned and uh, how to do women's hair. And thank God, man, I was a beast at it. I was really good, but I think it it made me just a better barber too. Mm. Um, but as I was there, um, then I left because my wife got pregnant. The hours got to be way too crazy, and I just wanted to spend a little more time with her. So I got a little job working at a small salon. But right then I was just like, yo, I'm, I'm ready to do this on my own. I have a mean clientele. So I rented first, out. First kid? First kid. So my wife was pregnant when I finally went out on my own, which was in 07. How and was that, man? Did you have money saved up? No, 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 man. I'm, I'm one of those that I'm like, you know, it's all or nothing. Let's you know? go. Let's do this. And I remember I went from the little small room that I was renting to another little small room. And then after that, that was two years of doing that room and then this room. And then from there, I saw this opportunity, which was at the old shop. And it was right at the very end. They were subleasing this small little, I'd say probably like 350 square feet, just a small little rectangle. Had enough for three chairs and a little couch area in the back. So I was like, yo, I want it. So I spent all the money that I had to to get that up and going. Now, my brother got married the weekend before I opened up the doors for business. And I remember that when I left for New York, which was where he was getting married, I had 27 cents in my account. Holy shit. And we were at his bachelor party, um, and I couldn't buy him a drink. And it was probably the hardest uh, time in my life, only because like it was the first inclination that, like, man, did I fuck up? So I remember me and my doubt. that I had a lot of doubt because when I left, we went to Atlantic City and I left my wife and my baby at my brother's house. But because, you know, we didn't have money, like our phones got cut off. So I couldn't even communicate with her. Just God forbid anything were to happen. What a woman, though. No, what a- no. My wife is a whole nother story of <laughs> what like a woman. man. I think she really I wouldn't. Like, I would partner. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I remember when I came back. Uh, even my brother and God, I know he didn't mean it, but he was just like, man, I can't believe I had to, you know, pay for my own drinks. And that's where yeah, he's just talking. Yeah, he's just talking. But it, that's where it hurt because I was like, fuck, man, did I fail? Did I mess up? So on our way back home, I still have the 27 cents in my account and I open up the doors and six days a week, 12 hour days, you know, and I since it was only me, I only had enough money for my bills and the shop's bills and everything else just kind of like took a fall back i had to like voluntarily repo my one of my cars uh my credit cards went all into defaults and i remember one night um you know because i don't know if you've ever been in that financial pinch where you can't even sleep because you're so terrified of what tomorrow may bring and i'm sleeping i mean i'm, I'm laying there and i'm watching my my my, my daughter's in my wife's hands and they're sleeping and I just I can't fall asleep because I'm like, yo, I'm in such a hole. And I remember that I just I got on my knees and I was like, God, if you could make this better, if, if you just give me I didn't even ask for him to get me out of it. I was like, just give me the opportunity to like grind this out. And I swear to God that I would do right by people. And that was my that was my first confession to him that like, yo, like I'm down and out, but I, this cannot be my life. This is just not the option. This is not what I have. In, I'm not made to. I'm not made to. No, I have, you know, I got my daughter. I got my wife. Like, these two dependent on me. 
And after that day, I remember after I, I did my little prayer or whatever, you know, I finally got some good sleep. And then the next day was just a whole different mindset. And after that, I just hit the ground running. One barber came in, then another barber came in. And then two years later, I started to kind of like dig myself out of my hole. I was like, oh, man, I see I see a little bit of light. And I just kept digging and digging and digging and digging. So we went from three barbers to five barbers to eight barbers to 12 barbers. And this was all, you know, within a 10 year span. And how many salons? Do you now I'm at a 22, we're at 22, 23 staff wow. members. And that's the one thing. That journey was from you opening doors to now. How long was that? That was 10 years. 10 years, man. A decade. 10 years, a decade. And I remember telling my wife, like, man, I really think I messed up. I really think I made a huge mistake. And thankfully, she would just always tell me, like, babe, it's okay. You know, she'd always tell me, like, I know I married a winner. And, wow, man. and sure enough, man, that's the one thing that is my only regret in all of this is the time that I spent away from, you know, my, my family. I've asked my wife, I think more than any husband should ask their wife for. And she's, she did it with a smile. You know, she never really complained about it. She did, unfortunately, you know, because nobody wants to be home alone raising three kids by themselves. But she understood what we were trying to do or what I was trying to do. And I would always... At the end of the day. At the end of the day, I told her, like, babe, I swear to you that by the time these kids need me, I will be here. I just need you to, like, please bear with me. And sure enough, man, that was the one thing that she did. And now, you know, 10 years later, I was able to buy her her dream home. And even last night, she told me she loves her home. She loves the house that I bought her. Beautiful home, by the way. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> but that was my gift to her. You know, I wasn't looking for a house. Like, you would have been good where y'all were. No, yeah. I mean, we were living in the house I grew up in. You know, so... But it was small. It was 1,800 square feet. But, you know, it, it worked for me. Yeah. But she wanted something. And I got this shop here on the 10-year anniversary of the shop. And you wouldn't be where you were. Without her. Yeah. And this was our 10-year anniversary being married. And I figured, you know what? If anybody deserves anything, it's her. And she found a house that she loved. And I made it happen. And, you know, I, I, I closed in six weeks. Wow. You know, so that was my. And that's kind of a buildup from getting your financials together, getting. That was you know, that was the last ten years of of me doing what I've been wanting to do for them, is because you know remember like my credit was horrible, so I had to rebuild my credit, then I had to build up you know a track record as far as taxable income, and then I had to build the company up to where every year there was a little growth, and little by little you know we went from making 30,000 in one year to, you know, now a million in one year. Wow. So that's that journey that I wish people would understand. And appreciate. Yeah, because they only see where we're, where we're at now. No one really knows that backstory because I think it just really just goes to show that, man, this takes a lot. I've sacrificed for what I have. That's why I don't feel bad, you know, for... Yeah, you know, I do take my family to Hawaii and, you know, I will go backpack Asia. Like, I want to live that life because I've sacrificed the last 10 years of my life. Almost lost my marriage twice. You know, almost lost a shop because freaking like the, the old business model wasn't working. I remember when I lost, you know, like half of my staff because I had to restructure the pay. And just like that, everybody left. And I started with a whole new squad. And what I do, I just did what I did before, and I did it all over again. Wow. And now, 
it's the product that people see now, which is Goodfellas. But it wasn't overnight. No. Right? That's kind of what you want to drive. Yeah. Right? You want to let people know you did not do this overnight. It, t- it Ten years, a decade. It took me ten years, man. And, you know, it's, it's one thing to hear from me. I think it's another thing when people hear it from my wife. You know, even my children now that, you know, my daughter's ten. You know, just... Oh, she was there from the beginning. She's, yeah. she's been there, yeah, since Jump Street. You know, seeing, like, that my wife would keep her up at night so that I could see her when I got home. Wow. So she'd, you know, like, have her... Because I would get home around 10 o'clock, and she'd keep the baby up. So that way, when I got home, I got to spend an hour or two with her. Because when I left, they were both sleeping. So I wasn't seeing my daughter at all, but I knew that there was a purpose for it, you know, and, and that's what kind of took, you know, like, that's what took all that like heart and you know the thing I, I didn't have a mentor I didn't have a, a motivator you know I didn't have anybody but Jay-Z Jay-Z has been my mentor since Jump Street yeah. but only because and I've never met the guy but I've seen that you know what every year he got better every year there was something that he was adding to his brand and every year he just and there were a few jewels in those albums yeah. and there were just enough for me to kind of latch on to and just like, no, okay, if he can do it, I can do it. Yeah. Because I've always had that mentality. Like, there's no difference. It's between. another man. It's just another man. And he came up from the same, you know, single single parent home, multiple siblings. You know, moms probably didn't make mad dough. So, like, we share the same story. You know, just that my, my mom was an immigrant. Yeah. You know, his his was American. But, you know, the, the, the trials and the tribulations, they were there. They were Similar. both there. Yeah. But I heard it yesterday that they were like, I remember someone told me, um, man, I, I feel sorry for the way you grew up. And I was like, don't don't feel sorry for me because feel sorry for the ones that don't find don't don't figure out a way out. I figured out my way out. You know, that's why now, you know, my whole thing is making sure that, you know, I could teach people how to get out of it. You know, but there is a way. Out. There's a way out. You know, it may take a lot more work than, you know, the, the normal one. You know, my kids, my kids will have a leg up on when they go into adolescence and into like adulthood that I didn't have, you know, I didn't have a, a, a that's a, a new challenge. That's a new one. Yeah. New because cause now you're dealing with kids a little more privileged and actually a lot more privileged than yeah. you had and kind of balancing that, you know, that hunger, yeah. that drive. Cause without it, man, you're not going to do much in this world. Yeah. You know, if you get full easily and you know, you're always making an escape route or uh, an, an excuse for why not to do it. Then no, like you you've hungry. already I want to see your ribs, man. I Yo, be you got to be yeah. starving, man, yeah. because that's what this world takes. And my kids hate because they call me mean. And I'm like, no, it's just that this world don't care about your feelings. This world does not care. The market only reacts to the product. That's it. It's got to be better than the other. Not just because you say so. Yeah. And you have to outwork your competition. You know, that's the one thing I know that anybody that knows me knows that, like, you won't outwork me. I may have taken a few steps back now, but that's because, you know, I can. And, you know, my son's in basketball now. Like, I got to train with him to make sure because that's another investment of mine. So what do I do with my son? For an hour and a half every day, we run over dribbling drills, shooting drills, layup drills, defense drills. And because I'm going to polish you up, you're going to know what work is. You know, because talent don't mean nothing without the practice. Yeah. So... Practice. We're talking about practice. Yeah, we're talking about. Yeah, 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 man. (laughs) And that whole thing was taken a little out of context, but um, it really does make or break, you know, like that will that. The great ones. Yeah, Yeah. you have to have it, man. You know, you got to be able to practice when no one tells you to. 
you know, this industry or entrepreneurship is all self-discipline. I try to tell all the kids who want to get into sports and stuff, it's like, if you're just doing what coach says, you're, you're not going to make it. No. You got to you gotta be there before practice. You got to be there after practice. Yeah. So you're doing the right thing there. Yeah, I hope yeah. so, yeah. yeah. We'll see in a few years. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll for see. Real. So uh, last thing, man, if you had any advice, actually, if you're talking to young Joaquin, you're talking to the 13-year-old Joaquin, right? He just started taking money for cuts. Yeah. Um, not sure what the future holds because school's not for him, may not know what's next. What advice do you have to give to him? I would say... Um, learn um i now learn that i am a smart guy you know i i have the ability to educate myself and i have the ability to you know find out the information that i want to know and i I think i wish i would have just told him that like hey look just because the content sucks doesn't mean you can't just learn those attributes of educating yourself you know learning to put your head in a book read it comprehend it and then go to a test and you know do good it's not so because school i think is sucks yeah you know school is meant to make workers you know and it's not a bad thing but they do not cater to the entrepreneur and i know that i've always had that spirit the only thing i would want him to do is just take the time to educate yourself learn how to learn learn how to learn Mm because it's very important you know anybody can learn because it's all with math, it's formulas. You know, with with reading, it's just comprehending. You know, with writing, it's speaking articulate. You know, like everything has a purpose to it. You know, like and appreciating that part. Is well, yeah, because you know, who would have known that? You know, now I do public speaking, and you know, now I do podcasts. The you kid know, who was in ESL. Exactly. You know, but I had to learn to speak. I had to learn to be articulate. I had to learn and educate myself on what it is that I want to talk. You know. The kid that didn't like math, now I have, you know, I got to run payroll and I got to create my budgets. And so all the things that I should have learned in school that probably would have gave me, you know, um, a head start in it all is the one thing I didn't do. But it, I wouldn't have known. Yeah. You know. And also you wouldn't be here today. Exactly. If you didn't take that journey that you took, man. Exactly. Yeah. I just think that I think I wish I would have built these habits earlier because I think I'd be a lot more polished now. And I'm okay with doing it now, you know, at, 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 you know, at 30 is when I started to really like learn how to be organized, you know, learn how to write down on my calendar, learn to map out my time, you know, certain things that I just never did growing up. I had to learn as an, as an adult, but I knew that I had to, because I was like, yo, this business thing is way more complicated than people made it out to be. And now I understand what it's like to have three phones and to have an assistant and to have another assistant and to have somebody updating your like meetings like, yo, this it's the, the world is real. But, you know, that's why certain things I just my my scheduling. I'm just not that organized. I have to outsource that. So know your strength, know your and strengths outsource and outsource your weaknesses. Yeah. You know, it's like Gary Vee says, you need to triple down on the stuff that you're good at. Now, the one thing that I'm good at is people. Uh, barbering and business those are the three things I'm great at so that's why I choose to kind of focus on those attributes and everything else I outsource because it still needs to get done at an extremely high level you value it yeah it's just not your strength it's just not my strength you know Gary Keller I'll end it with this Gary Keller fired himself you know Gary Keller is huh from Mm. Keller Williams oh okay the the real estate so yeah yeah he fired himself as CEO 
because he knew that he wasn't that good of a CEO, but he was a hell of a visionary. And I think that just goes to show that you really do have to be able to analyze yourself. Because if you can't self-analyze yourself and be, be real with yourself, then I think that'll be your biggest hurdle in life. I knew that I wasn't organized as much as people, man, walk, yo, how do you make time for it all? Anna. Yeah. You know, I have somebody that handles my schedule because I'm not that good at it. Anna has the phone that everyone, that all the numbers have. Like, because she's the one that gets back to them. I'm bad at communicating. So since I know I only have to communicate with one person, she has my phone. Hey, TJ's on his way. Cool, I'm on my way. Hey, you have a meeting at three. Hey, you have this. And Anna's the only one point of contact that I can communicate with. And she handles all the other outlets that I have to worry about, whether it's emails or text messages or uh, social media or the phone itself. She's the one that handles that. And then she just kind of consolidates what needs to be into my schedule. Wow. So that's how I'm efficient, but it's not by no means by my own doing. I literally had to know that, like, I'm not good at that. You know, I'm not good at handling the logistics of my schedule. I'd rather you do it. And then just so that way, if I do mess up and I miss a meeting, there's accountability. Because if I do it, then I'm like oh, another one. Yeah. But if I have someone that's supposed to be on top of it now, there's accountability like you should have told me I had a freaking meeting, you know, delegation, delegation. Yeah. That's all it is. Yeah. So. Thankfully, it's it's worked out. Um, I spend a little more money for it now, but it's worth it. It's worth, worth it. it. Yeah, it's absolutely worth it. Well, man, I appreciate your time for real. No, like, thank it's, you. It's been a privilege, and I'm sure y'all are gonna enjoy the con- content every Monday. Hashtag Mentor Mondays. This is Joaquin Herrera. 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 With Goodfellas Face Shop, Good Girls Hair Bar, the uh, Goodfellas Pomade. And then, and then Opal's Artisan Bakery, and soon to come, um, Good Homes Real Estate. Wow. So, hey, take notes. <laughs>